welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Well, only four more days and we're finished with 2020. Hooray! Yes, you want to say hooray with me? One, two, three, hooray! Time Magazine calls 2020 our worst year ever, a year we would like to delete from history. Living through 2020 is a little like standing on Carmel Beach, you know, walking along thinking everything is going fine, and then bam, being hit by one tidal wave after another. The first tidal wave we were hit with right out the gate in 2020 was the COVID virus that has virtually upended the lives of everyone on the planet, bringing isolation, loneliness, fear, uh, loss of businesses, loss of jobs, and in some cases, the loss of your friends and loved ones. Then, right on the heels of that, came all these natural disasters that we had. We had drought and massive wildfires. We had heat waves and earthquakes and hurricanes on an unprecedented level and tornadoes and floods. And then on the heels of that was a tidal wave of deep political and racial divide in our country. And we saw violent protests. We saw looting and fires and lawlessness all across our country. And if that wasn't bad enough to make matters worse, during all the calamities that we're experiencing, we were being bombarded by the Internet with conflicting information. Right? You know, we're being told... COVID-19 is sweeping the planet. And others were saying, no, it's just being overblown by the media. We were told masks are essential. And then we were told, no, masks are really useless. We've been told the vaccine is going to save us. And on the other hand, we're told, don't take the vaccine because it's really dangerous. And we were told the election was rigged. And on the other hand, we were told there's no evidence that the election was rigged. What confusing times these are. Our world, and in many cases, our own personal lives have been torn to shreds this year. It's like we're looking out from our isolation bubble onto a world that we hardly recognize a world that seems to be crumbling right before our eyes. Time Magazine stated that uh, our most debilitating threat this year was our sense of helplessness. The sense that we are facing life-changing events that we are powerless to stop. Most of us alive have never experienced anything like this. As God's people, how do we keep our footing during times such as these? 
Well, let's pray before we look into God's word for our answer to that question. Father, we thank you for your word, which comforts us and encourages us. We thank you for the freedom to gather together to share your word. And we thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is our teacher, our comforter, and our guide into all truth. And we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would come upon each one of us and would open our hearts and minds to the comfort that you would give us and the encouragement that you would give us this morning from your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning we're going to focus on Psalm 73. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn to Psalm 73. If you don't, we'll put the scriptures up on the screen for you. But I would encourage you to take notes this morning because you may want to Go over some of the things that we're going to talk about this next week. You may want to just, at home, you know, go back through your notes and uh, look at the things that God is going to show us. This wonderful psalm tells us how to keep from drowning in despair when we see life crumbling around us. We're going to skip through most of the psalm. I'm going to kind of fly over the top of it just to give you a background, and then we're going to land on one of my favorite passages in the Bible, verses 23 to 26. The writer of Psalm 23 was an ordinary man, a man who knew that he belonged to God, a man who was facing difficult times, much as we are, much like living through our year 2020. He thought it was his worst year. And he was trying to maneuver his way through very difficult and confusing times. He begins in verse 1 by saying that God is good. He says, truly, God is good to Israel. In the original language, it reads, nothing but good is God to Israel. It's God to Israel. And so what he's saying there is, nothing but good is God to me. He knows God is a good God. He knows that God is working good in his life and that everything that God does is good. Even though it hadn't been written yet, that God works all things together for good for his beloved children. But then, right on the heels of stating this, He says that in spite of his knowledge of God's goodness, he almost lost his footing. Says in verse 2, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. He almost fell away from his faith in God's goodness and in God's personal care of him. He goes from God is good and only good to I'm not so sure about the goodness of God. I'm not so sure about his personal care of me. And we might ask, how did that happen? So quickly, how did he go from one extreme to the other? 
Well, we find out the answer in the next few verses. Verses 3 to 12. We see that his first problem was his focus. His focus on the world. He describes in those verses his anger at the injustice that he was seeing, his anger and confusion at the suffering that he was seeing in the world. He says that too often those who mock God prosper and those who follow God suffer. And he describes the confusion that he feels because God does not seem to be doing anything about this, about these injustices. I'd say if we were going to relate his problem to today, we could say he was watching too much of the evening news. You know what happens when you do that? It's all bad, isn't it? Yes. He was looking at the state of the world. That was his focus. At all the darkness and the evil that was growing around him. He saw good being called evil and evil being called good. His attention was constantly on the negativity around him. And his worldly focus caused him to be filled with doubt about the justice of God. He could not reconcile God's goodness with the unrestrained evil that he saw taking place in the world. His second problem, verses 13 to 16, he started looking at his own life. Now things really got bad. (laughs) He kind of had what we would call a personal pity party. He started saying, well, God, it isn't bad enough that you don't do anything about all the injustice in the world, but you don't seem like you care about me. You're not doing anything about all of the things that I'm facing in my life. Don't you see, God, how frightened I am? Don't you see how lonely I am, how isolated I am? Don't you notice the pile of bills on my kitchen table? and the empty pantry? Don't you see that I've lost my job? I'm about to lose my business? I can't see my friends. I can't go to school. I can't hug my family. I can't have a normal Christmas. I can't get a haircut. (laughs) I don't understand, God. I'm your child. I'm trying to do the best I can to just trust you. Why aren't you doing anything about the things that I'm suffering in my own life? I think these are thoughts that we've all had at some time or another in 2020. But finally, we see a light go on in our confused and angry psalmist. He gave up trying to understand why God allows injustice and suffering And he just sat in the presence of God. Verses 16 and 17. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Isn't it a wearisome task to try to figure out God and what he's doing in the world and what he's doing in your own life? He says it's a wearisome task. So he said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. He quit trying to figure God out, and he just went and sat 
in the presence of God. And when he did this, it says, he remembered. He remembered that in the end, God will bring justice. He will judge the wicked. In the end, God will reward his children. So revelation came to him as he sat there. He remembered who God was and who he was as God's child. And now we come into our landing, verses 23 to 26. So let's read those again. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. He is mine forever. First thing he says here that he finds out when he's sitting in the presence of God is the word nevertheless. That's the big one here. It's an incredible word. This word is the great divide in the psalm. On one side, anger, doubt, confusion. On the other side, the truth about his life with God. On one side, a view of life from our perspective, and on the other side, a view of life from God's perspective and from the promises that God has made to his children. So he says, nevertheless, that word means in spite of, in spite of my skewed view of life, in spite of my doubts, in spite of my confusion, in spite of my accusations against God, I am continually with him. He holds me. He holds on to me and he guides me through this life and he makes sure I make it into my home in heaven. This is the reality. This is the reality of your life. This is the reality of my life as God's precious child. First thing, I'm always with you. That's what he says. Nevertheless, I'm always with you. In the original language, it reads, I am continually, constantly with you. No matter what I face in life, no matter what my responses are to the challenges that I face in life, I can become angry, I can become depressed or living in despair, I can become very confused, I can doubt God. But the truth is, nothing changes in my relationship with God. I'll say it again, nothing changes in your relationship with God, no matter what your response is, no matter what the challenges are that come at you, you're always with him because he is always with you. The tie that binds you to God cannot be broken. It cannot be broken. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, the scripture says. Matthew 28, 20, I, Jesus is speaking and he says, and be sure of this, I am with you always 
even unto the end of the age. God is with you, always. Even unto the end of the world, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The original language I love in this. He says, I will by no means slacken my grip on you, nor by no means desert you. This is a double negative here. It's the strongest negative in the Greek language that can be expressed in this verse. It's as if the Lord is putting his hands on your shoulders and looking deep within your eyes and saying, Child, I want you to understand something. I want you to get this. I will never, no, never, no, never leave you nor forsake you. He will be with you forever. I had a friend um, years ago, a young woman who had just become a Christian, and she uh, was facing a really hard winter in her home. She had three little children. It was foggy and gray outside, day after day, drizzly, foggy, gray, and her three little children just kept getting sick, one right after the other, and then, you know, she'd get them well, and then they all get sick again. It's really becoming wearisome for her. She was crying out for God to change this situation to help her. But her children just kept getting sick. And finally, she got sick. And she came down with pneumonia. And so now she is just, you know, exhausted and trying to take care of these little ones. And so she cries out to the Lord and she says, God... If this is what it is to be a Christian, I decided I want out. (laughs) It's too hard. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. Leave me alone. Go away. And she said she just felt the Lord's presence come upon her. And she said, I said, go away. And she said the Lord tapped her on the shoulder and said, no. I made a promise to you, I will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. I'm right here and I'm staying right here with you through this. Well, she said it just brought her to her knees to realize that the God that she belonged to was so committed to her, loved her so much that it didn't matter if she said to him, go away and leave me alone. His response was, no, never, never will I leave you. You are always with me. Second thing he says here is, you hold my right hand. I am always with him because he's holding on to me. He's holding on to my hand. God never lets go of you. You're never walking through life alone. You're never in danger of falling away because your father is always holding on to you, onto your hand. Psalm 37, 23 and 24, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their life. 
Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Jude 24. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Boy, that's a verse you want to hang on to. The example that we're given here in this verse, I think the first thing that came to my mind was a father holding on tightly to the hand of his little child. You know, why does the father do that? Because he loves his child. Because he's responsible for the safety of his child. He does not want any harm to come to his little child. So the father's grip ensures that the child will make it safely across the street. Your father's grip ensures that you will make it safely through this life and into the next, into your heavenly home. Third thing. Nevertheless, it says you guide me with your counsel. So God is always with you. He's always holding on to you. And he's giving you wisdom through the twists and turns of life. He's guiding you with his counsel. John 16, 13, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Isaiah 30, verse 21, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. God has given us the incredible gift of his Holy Spirit to guide us through this life. God's Spirit speaks to us through his word. His word is a lamp unto our feet. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us by just by putting thoughts into our minds. He speaks to our minds. And sometimes he speaks through other people. Tom and I experienced this two years ago. The, the reality, actually, of Isaiah 30, 21, God guiding us and saying this is the way to go. Um, two years ago, November 2018, we had been separated from our grandson Jacob for 10 years. The last time we'd seen him, he was nine years old. He was now 19 years old in 2018. And Tom uh, had received an email from a relative telling us that Jacob was not going to college. Jacob was not living at home. He was sleeping at a friend's house, that he had no transportation, and that he worked in a pizza parlor. That's all the information we had. Well, the Holy Spirit spoke to Tom and to me separately and said, you must go and find Jacob, and you must go now. Well, we didn't know where he was. But God gave me the verse, Isaiah 30, 21, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way you go. So we took that. I wrote it out, dated it. 
I went to the internet, I printed out all of the pizza parlors in the whole area where we knew Jacob was. 65 places that sold pizza, 10 pages. I took it with me, we got in our car and we drove six hours to the area. And we had decided we would go to every pizza parlor in the area until we found Jacob. Well, before we enter the town, Tom feels led to go off of the freeway and he goes to the right. And we know there's a pizza parlor down the road quite a ways. So we decide we'll, check, we'll start there, then we'll make a loop around the whole town, come through and look for Jacob. So we stop at this pizza parlor. I go in, Tom waiting in the car. I ask the man, do you know Jacob Feninga? No, he did not know him. He had never heard of him. And I said, okay, well, we're his grandparents and we're trying to find him. As I'm turning to walk out the door, I'm pushing the door open, the voice behind me, the man says, you need to turn around and go the other way. And I said to him, no, it seems to us a better way. We'll make this loop around the town and come through. And he said, you need to turn around and go the other way. There's another pizza parlor on the other way. If you had turned left instead of right, it's right there. I said, okay. And I went out to the car and I said to Tom, I think God spoke. The voice behind me said, go the other way. So we turn the car around, and as we're driving toward this pizza parlor, I find it on my list, and I decide I'm going to call there first because it's quite a ways back. So I call, and I said to the man that answered the phone, do you know Jacob Feninga? He said, yes, he's the manager. 65 places. The second place we went, there was Jacob. Jacob came to live with us. He's been with us two years. He's sitting right out there. He just, he just finished MPC. He's entering in January uh, CSUMB, and he's just doing great. And he's been a joy for us to have in our lives. God will guide you with his Holy Spirit. Fourth thing. A psalmist says, nevertheless, afterward, you will receive me to glory. What an incredible promise. Afterward, another word of division. Afterward, on one side, the sorrows and tribulations of this life. On the other side, the glories of heaven that await us. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, nothing can keep you from your glorious destiny with God. Nothing. Your faithful father will make certain that you make it home. Jesus tells a beautiful story recorded in Luke 15 that illustrates this truth. He says you and I are like little lambs that got lost in the world. We get lost in these this pit of sin and darkness. And then it says, as our good shepherd, God comes. He leaves everything to find us. And this is the part I love. Verse 5 of Luke 15. And when he had found his little lamb, 
he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. I hope you're seeing the unseen reality of your life with God, of your life here as you go through each day. As God's beloved child, you are being carried through life on the shoulders of Jesus. He comes and he finds you and he lifts you out of that pit and he puts you on his shoulders. And where is he carrying you? Home. He's carrying you home. He never puts you down. He never expects you to walk on your own. And he does this joyfully, with joy. You're not a burden to him. Now I want you to picture yourself riding on the shoulders of Jesus. Just get that mental image. Uh, you know how sometimes fathers pick up their little kids and put them on their shoulders and carry them? Okay, that's what I want you to picture. You're riding on the shoulders of Jesus through the twists and turns of life. And so what are you looking at? You're up there, but you're, we look down, don't we, on this life. And we may see the world crumbling around us. We may look down and see COVID-19 just spreading rapidly through our city. We may look down and we may see really bad news on the evening channel news. And as we're riding up there, we may even cry out with fear. It, it may scare us what we see. It may make us angry and we may shake our fists because we think this is not right. This is not just. We may have knots in our stomach over the challenges that we see coming at us in this life. But where are you? You're riding on the shoulders of Jesus. He's undaunted by all of this. You know, he's not saying, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? You know, how am I going to get her through this? No. He's the sovereign God. He's in control. He knows where he's taking you and how he's going to get you through the crisis that you're living in. And he does this with such joy. It says he rejoices as he carries you safely through the chaos of life. The Lord wants to reassure you this morning that nevertheless, no matter what you see happening around you, you are constantly with him. He holds you by your hand. He's guiding you through life. And afterward... He's going to receive you in glory. He's taking you home. These words were so amazing to the psalmist as he writes them for us that they cause him to realize that his greatest treasure in this life and in the next is God himself. Let me say it again. His greatest treasure 
in this life and in the next is God himself. Verses 25 and 26 of Psalm 73, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail and absolutely will fail. Every one of us. But, he says, God is the strength of my heart. He's my portion forever. He's mine forever. Think of it. The one who called the stars into being, the one who created everything, has given himself to you as a gift. What more could you desire? What more do you need? He has given you himself and all that he is. His power, his glory, his love, his strong shoulders to ride on. No wonder the psalmist ends with, as for me, it is good to be near to God. There's no better place to be to keep your footing during times like these than to be near to God. To just sit in the presence of God. Doesn't that just quiet your heart to say that? Sit in the presence of God. When we sit there, God will fill fills us with his peace. He gives us rest. He gives us revelation about who he is and what he has done for us and what he will do for us. So I want to just take a moment for us to sit in the presence of God. Just take a deep breath. And let his Holy Spirit just wash over you and settle your heart down. And just take away all the things that are concerning you right now. Father, we thank you for giving us your word to encourage us, to guide us, to give us revelation about the truth about our life with you, our, the truth about our life here on earth. Lord, we pray that if anyone is listening to this and they don't know you, they don't have the assurance of your presence with them. That they don't have the assurance of making it into heaven. We pray right now, Lord, that 
they would cry out to you, Lord, here I am, lost in my dark pit. Find me. Lord, that they would feel you lift them up out of their darkness and sin onto your shoulders. And Lord, some of us that know that we belong to you, that you are our God, we still may be feeling lost and confused in the midst of all the chaos around us. And so I pray, Lord, that your spirit would also calm our hearts, would lift us up out of the confusion and doubt, that we would see ourselves riding on your shoulders, viewing life from your perspective and not the perspective of the world. And we thank that you for this and for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.